Parked Up. Powered by Race Fuels. You're listening to Parked Up. It's episode 13. My name is Grant Rowley and I am with Tony Delberto, TCR Australia, supercars endurance driver, legend. Mate, thank you for that introduction. Every week gets better and better. What's your uh, background? Let's let's talk about your highlights as a racing driver or a journo, just so we've got something to back up, you a know, of, all the praise you give me. A couple of first places in some club, club go-kart races, some futsal world titles. Pretty yeah. sure they're world titles. Wow. It feels like you're playing for the World Cup when you when you're kicking that ball around sometimes. Is this on PlayStation? No, this is in the in the real world. Okay. IRL. I'm just in uh, the online world constantly, so I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. You would always talk about the uh, frustration of online racing. I do quite a bit of online racing. It's just with a bunch of mates. It's PlayStation. It's pretty yeah. um, But that's fun. fun. It's fun, and it's more about the banter, talking about it uh, while we're doing it rather than the actual competition. But yes. Of my uh, little clique of friends, I'm definitely the worst, or maybe not the worst, but certainly the most inconsistent. Yeah, well, I think though, when you compare like PlayStation games to like iRacing, iRacing is as realistic as you're going to get. And you, there's no sort of room for error, there's no margin. You know, like if you outbreak yourself, you literally go off the track like you would in the real world. Whereas like the more gamey sort of racing games, they're just a bit more fun, you know? And I think that's what I want to get back to a little bit on, the, you know, in this online world, to have a little bit more fun with my mates, just like you are, and leave the serious stuff to uh, on track in the real world. Well, we talk about uh, online racing, but mm. most of it has just come to an end. Certainly most of it in, in our part of the world, the Supercars E-Series has uh, run its 10-round course, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, has uh, taken out the big prize. I'm not mm. sure what size check he's going to get for for <laughs> his prize, but he did get to do it, uh, half of it in New Zealand, some of it in uh, on the Gold Coast there in lockdown. So he is the champion. Of course, the ARG Esport Cup uh, was wrapped up a couple of weeks ago, but now uh, ARG has come up with a brand new TCR-only online racing series which will just get us through until the start of the actual restart of the new racing season so Mm. that's a uh, it's a nice little initiative and tony i don't see your name on the entry list just yet (laughs) no well i've actually sold my sim so it's gone i don't have a sim at the moment nothing oh okay see you later i'm in the process of building up a new sim because i have enjoyed you know going racing on the sim Hasn't all been bad and frustrating, as I've sort of made out. But yeah, I, I've, I can't do this championship. And it is a bit of a shame because, as you just mentioned, all the different manufacturers are represented in this championship. So it's a different program they're using. So they're using the Assetto Corsa platform rather than the iRacing. And uh, it would have been nice to race my Honda with Honda branding and uh, it would have been a little bit better on that on that side of things for me. I reckon we can still get you in. I reckon we can still get you in. You're going to get your new sim, what, lot... about a month or so, you reckon? Oh, I reckon it'll probably take a month, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the big problem at the moment is actually trying to get equipment for the sim. You just can't get I was speaking to a guy yesterday and getting a, trying to get a particular part and he said September. Right. So I said, mate, I I can't have my sim out of action for that long. So 
it'll probably get built, but not to the level that I want straight away, but, that, but that's okay. So that's probably the biggest challenge for anybody going sim racing. And, and this guy uh, actually mentioned that during the, the lockdown, everything went crazy for them. And, but now it's just continued on, even though we're going real racing soon, there's still this massive demand for the uh, sim equipment. So that's good for them. Certainly probably the busiest time that they've ever seen. But I'll be interested to see how this new championship goes, but I will be looking forward to having my Thursday nights back to myself and actually starting to focus on getting myself ready for the first round of TCR at Sydney Motorsport Park in August. Yep, that's nine weeks away, I believe. Yep. So that's, uh, that's quite cool. Quite cool that real race cars will be back on the, on the racetrack. And we've also got the supercars mm-hmm. championship that's going to restart even earlier than that that's actually in only two a weeks. weeks time i can't wait i literally cannot wait to see the cars on track there's been heaps of changes to the championship this year no one's testing before the round there's no data these guys uh, have been doing a lot of sim racing as we've mentioned a million times but actual real world racing or driving has been zero we're going to talk to nick Perkat on today's show So it'll be interesting to see what he's doing to get himself ready for uh, this first round back in supercars at Sydney Motorsport Park. But it is very much a a different world, different regulations on the teams. So pit stops, not allowed as many people to actually change the tyres, not allowed as much crew at the race meeting. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how some of these teams actually adapt to these new rules, see if we, we get a bit of a change in the order. We don't get the same people winning all the time. But, you know, as things settle down, generally the cream rises to the top and uh, we could potentially see, you know, those teams get to the front again. My big concern, and we'll go into it a little bit more, but they change all these things in supercars. They take away sensors and no data and all this sort of stuff. But somebody like a team like DJR Team Penske or Triple Eight, they go to the track at a much higher level already with their base set up than some of these other teams. So I don't know how these other teams that don't have as much funding or backing or anything like that or, or experience can bridge that gap when you're not being able to analyze anything. So that's going to be a big trick. Well, that'll be part of the fascination watching these cars come back out onto the track. As you say, the cream usually rises to the top. But look, yeah, looking forward to talking to Nick a little later on because I'm sure we'll ask him some of these questions and see what his thoughts are. Of course, he drives for Brad Jones Racing. And, you know, that team has always had that uh, sneaky ability to jag results Absolutely. Uh, at, at various times. So maybe this is the time that BJR will uh, be able to uh, turn the tide a little mm. bit. Not that they've been too far off the pace. They've always been, you know, just hanging outside that or inside the top 10, yep. which is no mean feat in that that championship. So They're a really clever team. And I remember when the Car of the Future came in and they came out at the front of the field and were winning races straight away. So mm. they're the type of team, when they see an opportunity, they really do pounce on it. And we've seen it at Bathurst many times over the years. Huge amount of experience there with Brad and Kim, obviously. Um, And Nick now has so much experience in a supercar in particular in that team. So he's going to be a real team leader. So he's been working really hard in the background, getting himself ready. I think he's in a better position uh, to kick off this championship than a lot of other drivers. 
But Grant, who else have we got on the show today? Yeah, we've got a really cool guest uh, alongside Nick, who we're looking forward to talking to. We've also got a young lady named Katie Munnings. Now, in the motor racing world, she's currently in the JWRC rally scene, competing with some cool sponsorship from Red Bull. But for our Australian viewers with young children, they will know her as the host of a TV show named after herself, Katie's Amazing Machines. Now, I've got a couple of young girls, one of which is two years old. And around about that uh, sort of 6 p.m. time every evening, Katie's Amazing Machines come on. So on the program, Katie gets to drive all these really cool cars. It's It's a kid's TV show. And I was watching it uh, recently, and my two-year-old was absolutely transfixed with this with this program. Watching this young girl drive tanks, or drive boats, mm. or fly planes, or race cars, or um, fire trucks, or whatever you know, she, they they do everything on there. So if you do have young kids, and Tony, I know you've got a uh, young Oscar, he's mm. only four. Mm. I'm sure he's absolutely into it. I thought, well, uh, let's get young Katie on the line. I reckon it's a great idea, and I am with you. Oscar watches it all the time. And only just recently, I watched a little bit myself, and I thought, who is this girl? So I had to do a little bit of stalking, find out a little bit of history of Katie's, and I found out that she's the real deal. She is a racing driver in her own right, but really good at presenting on the show as well. So a bit of a natural in in a lot of ways. So I can't wait to actually have a chat to her. This is big for our podcast, mate. We're going international. This is it. We are globally parked up. (laughs) So yeah, so we're going to talk to Nick and Katie and that's coming up soon. But before we talk to those two cool cats, let's talk about some news, Tony. And I've even got a little bit of uh, news music to uh, launch (laughs) into this. Ready for it? This is the news. This is the breaking news or the best of the news that we've had this week. And uh, certainly leading that off is the talk of a change in the Supercars Championship calendar. Now, we were really excited a few weeks back when the calendars started to to come out. You know, we'd been parked up for quite some time. Uh, We weren't really sure when we were going racing and we started to see calendars and we got quite excited. But it seems the Supercars won't drip into the 2021 calendar year i think that's a great idea personally i didn't know how that was all going to play out putting the championship into the 2021 season or year uh, i just think it will make the following year quite messy so i think it's a great idea to finish it at the end of 2020 things like sponsorship deals you know, drivers' contracts, all those sort of things have been put together before the COVID-19 crisis. So it's not like in the beginning they they uh, decided to go into 2021. So I think the best thing to do this year is to take the hit, do less rounds, get the ball rolling, finish the championship at the end of the year. The biggest disappointment, I think, for the championship is going to be not going to New Zealand. We know that there's a lot of fans over there. The fan base is huge. That is a bit disappointing, but I'm sure supercars are trying to work on a plan to get themselves over to New Zealand, if they can, to go racing before the end of the year. I think that would be the smart thing to do. And then to draw a line in the sand and get going in a big way in 2021. So supercars hasn't actually confirmed these 
changes just yet. It's uh, effectively a bit of speculation in the media. So I thought I'd grab Simon Chapman from speedcafe.com. He's their resident V8 guru. And I thought, let's get his take on what the calendar changes may be. And it appears the supercars calendar is going to change. And to talk to us more about that is senior journalist and supercars reporter for speedcafe.com, Simon Chapman. Simon, tell us a little bit more about the supercar calendar changes. Well, to be honest, it's pretty fluid at the moment. The info generally seems to change uh, every few days. So it's, yeah, it's pretty hard to, to put a stake in the ground at the moment and really say, what the calendar will definitely look like. We do know, obviously, that Sydney Motorsport Park will probably close out the season at the end of this year. Obviously, Supercars earlier this year announced that they were going to lapse into 2021. But as it turns out, that's made life a little bit difficult for drivers and teams and sponsors and broadcasters. Obviously, if your contract says to the end of 2020, that makes life a little bit difficult if the calendar obviously lapses over into 2021. So Supercars, I think just being a little bit sensible here and deciding to bring the calendar to a close at the end of this year, just to simplify things. Now, Supercars has said that an official announcement about what the back end of the calendar will look like will come later in the week. Do you think there'll be even more more changes again? Is it that fluid? Oh, definitely. I think, obviously, now that we've got an idea that Sydney will close out the calendar, that obviously has some ramifications for the rest of the championship. So the knock-on effect, basically of all of this is that Sydney will take over the the Sandown date, which is on the 12th and 13th of December at the end of 2020. So then you've got to ask the question, okay, well then what happens to to Sandown? So we gather that Sandown may still have um, an opportunity to host an event at some point in 2020 where that lies is currently up in the air. Obviously uh, the information that we get seems to chop and change by the hour. So we'll have to wait and see where that, plays out then obviously you've got the question around New Zealand that's obviously got a huge question mark next to its name obviously standing in early January so you would probably assume that that event might be cut from the calendar but again that's hard to know the the governments over in in New Zealand might want to save that event and, and try and find a way to work that into the calendar this year but that would seem a little bit unlikely, especially given some of the border restrictions and supercars certainly trying to focus their efforts on Australia at the moment. Obviously, the last question has to be around Bathurst. Um, there have been a few outlets who have reported that Bathurst is basically cut from the calendar, but as we gather um, and as we've reported, we're pretty sure that event will still have some sort of involvement next year. So whether supercars does get to host a second sprint round at Bathurst is still certainly a possibility. And I suppose more so when you consider the fact that the Bathurst 12 hours got a bit of a a cloud hanging over it too, uh, with all the international travel restrictions that are in place. So supercars might come to the rescue regardless uh, for that event. So we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. But yeah, it's, it's fluid, certainly very, very fluid at the moment. While we're not sure what the calendar may look like, one thing that is encouraging is that Crowds seem to be coming back to sports. We saw some crowds at AFL matches over the weekend and it looks like crowds could come back to supercars events maybe even as early as July. So uh, that is uh, an, an encouraging sign at the very least. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that'll certainly get fans going. Uh, Scott Morrison recently sort of mentioned uh, a 25% sort of capacity figure for stadiums, how that will work for supercars events where it doesn't necessarily have allocated seating um, in general admission areas might make life a little bit interesting for supercars to figure out how that works. So I'm sure supercars will have to get in touch with the federal government to figure out what that means for an event like that. Maybe it just means that uh, we have spectators up in grandstands and not necessarily in, in general admission. But then in saying that, if it's general admission and it's open air, then you know you might be able to allow a few more people in um, and spread them out further. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's certainly encouraging. There's lots of movement going on, and and it's really good that there is this discussion going on and that we do have these discussions around the calendar because it means that we are going to go back racing shortly. We are going to have some events. We're hopefully going to have some crowds, and I think you would probably say it's a relatively safe bet now that the Bathurst 1000 might actually have some decent crowds involved. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, it's the, the goalposts keep moving every day, but they're moving in the right direction. I think that's, that's the main point. So we thank Simon for his time and Tony really positive that we could see some crowds back at uh, supercars races as well you know even city city motorsport park to start you know might be minimal crowd Mm. uh you know we saw some fans at various footy matches over the over the weekend it would look a little bit odd without crowd or even cars parked up watching Mm. the races but i think the one that would look most odd is the bathurst 1000 or any event at at bathurst even arg's bathurst international Mm. in november no crowd there would uh, would look odd but it does look like the government's making some moves to allow larger mass gatherings yeah that that's because i think australia's done such a great job in trying to contain the virus we could do what the afl is doing though right now and just have cardboard cutouts and background noise in the broadcast that that all seems a bit weird to me yeah but it just wouldn't be the same vibe going to Bathurst without a crowd, uh, having the fan support there. It would be quite an eerie sort of feel, I think. But we will do whatever we need to do, Grant, to go racing again. And if that means we've got to do it with less people there, then that's what we're going to do. But I think by the time we get to Bathurst in October, uh, things will have lifted again. And we should be able to see some crowd there at the Bathurst 1000 and also the ARG race later in the year. We're looking forward to that. Now, that was the the calendar news is the big supercars news of the week. The big news in TCR Australia land is that a lad that you know quite well, Brad Shields, is going to compete in a privateer Hyundai. Now, I think it's quite good for the TCR Australia series that in such an uncertain Mm. time that we've got a, a brand new car, a brand new entrant coming into the series. So... That's uh, that's really good. Now you do a bit of driver training mm-hmm. with Brad, and uh, and and you know him as well. What should we expect of Brad driving the Hyundai i30N this year? Well, Shieldsy is going to be a bit of a pocket rocket. He can certainly drive a race car, there's no doubt about it. He he's quite a quiet guy. Uh, you wouldn't expect him to be such a rocket in the race car huge amount of experience so he might not have the profile that some of the other drivers in tcr have but if you're a racing driver in australia you know brad shields and you know what his credentials are and what he's capable of so i'm 
you know, quietly confident that he's going to be very fast in that Hyundai. We're going to some circuits that he knows really, really well. He spends a lot of time at Sydney Motorsport Park, but he also grew up at Bathurst. Can you imagine growing up at Bathurst, Grant? Yeah. Every day you see Mount Panorama Not as bad. your view. Not bad. So I'm expecting big things. Uh, he's going to have the same equipment as uh, our current champion, Will Brown. And how will he go against Will, do you reckon? Well, he's, he's, we'll see. Time will tell. But I think, uh, I'm going to call it, he's going to be taking Will to task. There's no doubt about that. All right. Well, I grabbed Brad on the phone and had a quick chat to him about his news from this week. And I've got Brad Shields on the line. Brad will race in the TCR Australia Series in a Hyundai announced earlier this week for Tilton Racing. Brad, are you looking forward to driving in the TCR Australia Series? Yeah, for sure. I can't wait. It's I've sort of always been had an interest in it since it first started last year. So, um, yeah, I watched every round last year and it's, it interests me a lot. Yeah, can't wait to get out there. Fantastic. You've done uh, quite a bit of racing, very diverse, some state racing stuff, some national stuff in in Australian GT. You also do a lot of driver training, even with our friend Tony D. And he says that you're going to be very competitive. You guys have worked together in the past, but TD has seriously said that you know, you're going to give Will Brown a, a real run for his money in similar Hyundai equipment. Now, Tony doesn't hand out big compliments unless he's getting paid. So are you already on his payroll? <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> yeah, I've, I've raced against him a few times and um, yeah, we've had some good racing. So yeah, it should be good. Hopefully, like I said, I don't really know what to expect too much, but um, yeah, pretty confident we should go okay. You had one test in the Hyundai at Sydney Motorsport Park. It'll be the same track that you'll make your TCR Australia debut. What were your feelings on the car in that test? Um, it was really cool. Obviously pretty different with the front wheel drive, pretty much everyone's comments. Um, and we're, yeah, just sort of getting the hang of it. The, the day was mostly wet as well. So it was a bit of an ex- interesting experience the first time out on slicks in pretty much wet weather. So, no, though, it was a really cool thing. I, yeah, like I said, can't wait to get out there and race. Yeah, great. Now, you grew up in Bathurst as well. How many laps do you reckon you've done around Mount Panorama? Um, I've done a fair few, actually. I've done the Bathurst 12-hour in 2015. Um, and, yeah, I've, I've raced there quite a bit. So, and maybe a few on the on the weekends at night as well. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine, like, uh, we, we all love that place. And I tell you, if I lived within a uh, stone's throw of it, you'd hardly be able to take me off it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I could actually see it from my house. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's sort of, it's a bit weird. Everyone gets so excited when they come into Bathurst because, you know, it's something you only do once, twice a year. But for me, it's sort of, it's home and doesn't really have that sort of, the track obviously has, has that awesome feeling about it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I love living there. And we thank Brad for his time there. So he lived with Mount Panorama. He, he could see it from his house. That's mm. that's quite cool. We live out here in the Mount Dandenongs, <laughs> and from my house I can see Mount Dandenong, but there's no racetrack around that. So I, I reckon he wins. <laughs> I think as a racing driver, waking up to that every day, you, you might uh, run an extra K, you might ride an extra K, put in a little bit more effort to try and make sure that uh, you become that little bit better race driver than the next bloke because... Driving a race car around Bathurst is the best thing you can do in Australian motorsport. And 
we often see a lot of Europeans come out here racing and they absolutely love the place. So what a backdrop to uh, grow up looking at. As you can see though, or here, Shields is quite a, a quiet character. You, you wouldn't uh, suspect him to be the person that I know him to be. Uh, yeah, tell a little. There's a little bit of a story there. We do a lot of driver training for Jaguar especially. And Shieldsy is really quiet with the customers. Yep. Very good at his job. Uh, very calm, but he does like a beer. You beauty, I like this boy. Loves a beer. So of an evening, he can sink more than I can. And Shieldsy just, like Hank comes out. There's a different <laughs> version of Shieldsy that comes out. And he's, one word that comes to mind is loose. Great. He's a loose cat. And uh, But he can drive a race car, man. He, he can drive a race car really well. I think his driving style, he doesn't mind a car that is quite taily and lively. That's why I think he's going to be quite quick in these cars. Cool. Well, looking forward to it. Great to have another young young buck come in. I think he's 20, 26. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Jordan Cox story. Jordan was doing a lot of... Uh, improved production and and uh, a very very capable steerer but mm. uh, the mainstream didn't really know much of him yep other than uh, those youtube clips for jordan uh brad similar you know hasn't done hasn't done any supercar stuff mm. hasn't done any you know top level national stuff i know he's done australian gt but this will this will be his opportunity yep. to show his his real wares so and in that really good hyundai equipment we've mm. seen what will brown and nathan morcom can do in it yep let's see what brad can do i totally agree he's going to be a bit of a dark horse but uh you won't be able to discount him because he will be fast in that car there's no doubt about it and it's great to have a new team in the championship in Tilton Racing who predominantly have done a lot of world time attack events. And I think Brad has actually driven for that team quite a few times. So they know what he's capable of. I mean, that might be the biggest trick for the team and, and Costa, who owns the team, to learn how to tune the Hyundai. That's probably one of the big things that they're going to have to learn on the fly. It's all good to have the same equipment, but you've got to be able to know what to do with it as well. So that's going to be a challenge for them. But like I said, Brad should be nice and quick. Uh, they're not new to the game. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Watch this space. Cool. So that is the TCR news. We've also got some news for our major platinum parked up <laughs> sponsor, Race Fuels. So some cool news coming out of the Race Fuels garages in that during this parked up time where they haven't been supplying fuels for race cars to burn around tracks, they created their own workshop sanitizer. So using the ethanol fuel and a water blend, all under the United Nations strict sanitization rules, they've created a workshop sanitizer and they're going to give 20 litres per supercar's car mm -hmm. at Sydney Motorsport Park. So uh, when they get to Sydney, each of the cars will have a 20 litre sanitizer drum there to make sure that everything is super, super clean. Mm -hmm. And to get a little bit more detail on it, I spoke to their MD, Mark Tierney. I've got Mark Tierney, Managing Director on the line from Race Fuels. Mark, this is a great initiative. Yeah, thanks for that. We've, uh, we've been thinking pretty hard about just how important it is we go over to racing and therefore just how important it is that everyone's healthy and we do everything we can. So we've been involved in, in fuels and ethanols for a number of years. So it made sense that we, um, 
we put together a product that's going to be an, an industrial application that would suit a race team where we can um, use this workshop sanitizer to you know, kill any germs or virus out of uh, any surfaces or tools that might be co-shared in a working environment. So what's actually, what actually comprises a workshop sanitizer? What we're looking at is um, the, the key thing with killing germs is pure alcohol. And uh, one really good alcohol, of course, is ethanol. So a very similar ethanol that goes into the E85 for supercars and, and other motorsport, the fuel ethanol we're using is a very highly concentrated alcohol product and uh, proven to be effective in the, in the, fight, in the fight towards hygiene. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, awesome initiative, and I'm sure all the supercars teams will be will be stoked about it. What what application should it should it be used? I guess when normal civilians think about sanitizer, they think about the hand sanitizer. But yeah, uh, this this is uh, this has absolutely. a lot more purposes. Yeah, look, we think we when we're involved and uh, we know about hand sanitizer. It's a great product, but traditionally, hand sanitizer is there for washing your hands. What we have here is a product that you can sort of put in a spray pack and then. Um, or throw it on rags and then clean down surfaces and clean down tools. So it's a, it's a more of a surface spray, really, and it's just something we can offer because we know that we all want to go back to racing and we all want this to be permanent. We certainly don't want further lockdowns or further problems. So every step we can take to be as safe as we can, and uh, look, our race fuels will be one of the few suppliers on site, particularly round two in Sydney. So why not have us there? That's a great initiative by Race Fuels and Mark Tini to produce a product that's going to keep the supercar teams nice and clean and hygienic during this sort of uncertain time. So awesome work. Uh, and again, we thank Race Fuels for supporting our podcast, Parked Up. We're on episode 13 and we're powered by Race Fuels. <laughs> that's us. Uh, an excellent use of your voice there, Tony. I love it. Now, <laughs> We are going to bowl straight into the first of our guests and ladies first, I reckon. Mm. Katie Munnings, she is a TV star. She's not actually a TV star anymore. She actually quit the show because she's concentrating on her junior WRC program supported by Red Bull. And because we see her on our TVs in the kids program, Katie's Amazing Machines... We thought we'd grab her for a chat. So looking forward to this one. Tony D, let's press the buttons. And it's a pleasure to welcome Katie Munnings to Parked Up. Katie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to chat to you. Now, any of our Australian listeners that have young children will most certainly know of you, Katie. Every night around 6pm, you are on the ABC Kids channel showing our kids cool race cars, road cars, trucks, tractors, boats, you know, even tanks. Like you were driving just about anything. But before we ask you about your Amazing Machines program, you've actually left it and and you, you decided not to do the second season to concentrate on your own rally program do you realize you've actually broken the hearts of many four-year-olds right around the country yeah do you know what it broke my heart as well when i've seen some of the reactions um i think the show went out first in the uk before it kind of spread out to and um, it kind of went then to malaysia and a few other countries and i had when when the the news came up that i wasn't doing the second series um i had so many kind of video messages from parents being with kids that were actually in tantrums when they saw that i wasn't doing the next series 
And I felt so guilty for this that I was causing, especially in lockdown when, you know, TV's probably a way of entertaining the kids for half an hour. I felt so guilty that I wasn't able to help the parents out a bit more. Yeah, a, a real shame you didn't that you didn't continue. The show does continue with Grace, this uh, this imposter who's uh, who's come in. Uh, but uh, the the show did have a, a lot of success. Was it difficult to sort of pull the pin and 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 stop doing that? Yeah, I mean it was so much fun to film as well. Um, you know, going to work every day it would be like I had to drive two machines every day. So it would be in the morning I've got to li- learn how to fly a helicopter. And then in the afternoon, I'm flying a fighter jet um, and I'm doing kind of snowmobiles. I'm doing jet skis and doing submarines. Um, and it was my mum was the makeup artist on it as well. She works in TV. Um, so I managed to get her on the gig. So we were kind of just traveling around. Uh, it was all over the world, really. We went and we were just filming it together. And um, it was the best time ever. So it was, I think it was a really big kind of um, decision. And it was quite hard to make at, at that time in my career. You know, I'm, I was you know I'd only been left school for a couple of years so it felt pretty surreal that I was already turning down you know a massive opportunity um but I think it felt right for me I never I never went into um into well I never went out into the world thinking I'll be a presenter it was always racing and that was how the opportunity came about um and so I think I kind of stuck by my guns with that and I thought to myself well you know you've got to give it a, a go while you're young you've got to go rally and you've got to do the things that won't be there forever and then you know hopefully if you have a successful career I hope those opportunities will open up again you know if I want them to in the future um but definitely it was it was tough and I think even more so when you see the next series um it was it, you know as you said that it was so popular the first series that they immediately commissioned another two years of the show um and it was really difficult you know I'm watching them like try even better bigger faster machines and um, not to be a part of it is quite hard Katie, it's Tony here. We really love the show here in Australia. None more so than my son, Oscar, who's four years old. And I actually mentioned to him yesterday that we were going to interview you. And I just showed him a photo. I didn't mention names or anything like that. And he saw the photo and he said, Katie, you're going to interview Katie? He was absolutely stunned. He's like, how did you get hold of her? You know, like... He's a massive fan. So you've got some uh, some fans here in Australia, which is awesome. He wanted to come to the studio this morning, actually. So he's up very early trying to come with me. <laughs> oh, bless him. Um, That's so sweet. One thing that he did want to ask, though, he wanted to ask, what was the best machine or car that you got to drive in the series? Um, and the worst. He wants to know both spectrums. Both. I think for me, um, it was different sort of every day because for me, it was kind of, it wasn't just the experience of driving that machine or flying that machine. It was the whole experience of filming it. So it was the, the experience of how long I got to spend on it um, where I was, um, what, what the atmosphere was like that day. So I think it kind of changed my view a bit. But I think for sure, the best experiences I had were the flying machines. Um, just because it was so different and it was so um, unusual to what I'm able to do normally. So I think I really loved the helicopter and I really loved the jet plane as well. I think they're probably my favourite. Okay. Um, although it's so hard to say because as I'm sat here, I'm just, I've am just i just got my head is like spinning with dump trucks and monster trucks and <laughs> underwater scooters. And, you know, there's so much cool stuff that I feel guilty for not saying because I had so much fun trying it. And the snow, oh, the snow cow as well. That was so much fun. We filmed that one uh, going up the mountains um, in Val in France before the ski lifts were open for the day. So it was completely, you know, it was a beautiful crisp morning out there. We were up at like 5 a.m. 
I was going up making complete ruts in the snow and we had to have another snowmobile and snowplow thing come along behind and even it all out for us. <laughs> um, so that was a really cool experience too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think my favourite, if I was going to have to say, was the jet plane, just because you don't get that opportunity every day. Um, and probably my worst machine. Um, or I, you know, I love them all. I did not enjoy any of them. I think that my worst was probably the one that I was the most, it's kind of the best in the way as well. It's a, it's a tricky one, but it's probably the one that I was the most scared on, and that was the Microlite. Yep. Um, just because it literally felt like I was on a lawnmower with a sail on the top. That's what it, you know, you're like... <laughs> 3,000 feet and he's stalling the engine for fun and saying oh I hope it I hope it kind of starts again I was gonna have to glide down um, I think I was absolutely terrified on that one but it kind of made it the best as well because as an adrenaline junkie I really love the buzz of that as well it sounds like a huge amount of fun have you always had a, a background in presenting because you come across so natural on the show it's like somebody that has lived in this world before have you had that experience or has it always been you wanted to go down the path of car racing? Um, do you know what? It was, it, I haven't had any experience in presenting. My mum had been a TV presenter in film and TV for years, so I'd always kind of grown up, um, well, you know, not surrounded by it because I never really went to work with her, but I was aware of the industry and how it kind of worked. Um, and then my sister was doing costumes for TV and film, so they were very much, that was that half of the family. Um, and then my dad was a rally driver, so that was, you know, I was in the most sports side with him. Um, so I never, I never, apart from, you know, I did loads of drama and loads of, like, um, I did motivational speaking and things like that. Um, and when I was at school, I was massively into drama and theatre production. So I kind of, I guess I got some confidence from that. And that's what I learned, kind of, um, learned a bit about the craft. Uh, in terms of actual experience, I went, literally went in first day on the job and you know film crews there's like te terminology they use there's like special language there's protocol between all of the sound engineers and the lighting and you know the, the camera guys and I literally didn't know any of it and I feel that they kind of found it very endearing and were always laughing at me because I'd just be sort of standing there like does that mean I need to start speaking now or do I wait or you know it was um it was very much learn on the job um but it was so much fun as well because I think that that kind of authentic and that raw side really comes across well to kids you know kids love enthusiasm and because I was yeah. generally so excited to drive and to test these machines I think that really came across um so then I think it felt more natural than if I was kind of talking about something that I had no no idea about yeah for sure don't you just love Tony these people who can do drama and dancing yeah. and presenting and rally car driving and just just embarrassing the, <laughs> embarrassing the rest of the population <laughs> now uh Kate <laughs> Katie, everything geared now around the rally program. You were doing a bit of competition while you were presenting the show as well. Was it difficult to balance those two at the time? Yeah, I think that's why I had to make a decision to choose one or the other. Um, although, I, you know, it was manageable and I was making it work. But um, at that time, it would sort of be me turning up to my races and I'd be half prepared. And then I'd be coming back really exhausted and going into filming kind of half with it and half prepared for that as well. So it felt like I was sort of doing both, but not doing both properly. Um, and obviously, you know, in cutthroat industries, and very incompetitive industries, it wouldn't work in the long term for a career in either. So it was very apparent to me that I needed to make that decision. Um, just I think because you've got to look after yourself as well. You know, every single day when I wasn't competing, when I'd come back, we'd be filming and um we I, I remember that you know my mum would be driving so we'd be going around the country together and I'd be trying to learn the lines and I'd be trying to do the race pack for the next event 
and then I'd be standing on set and I wouldn't know what I'm talking about. All I could see was the rally corners that I'm trying to learn and I wouldn't know what my lines were. And, you know, it was, it was all kind of blurred into one and it was a really hectic year um, because obviously, they, you know, TV has their deadlines as well. Um, so I think it was it was a point when I was also with different sponsors and, you know, they, they wanted different things as well. Um, so I, I made that decision, but um, it definitely wasn't an easy one. Yeah, well, speaking of sponsors, you've got like the world's coolest sponsor now associated with yourself. So the, having Red Bull is, you know, one of the uh, the best things that a motorsport driver can have. What's it been like in the early stages of the relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Um, as you say, Red Bull are a really cool company and um, very iconic in motorsport as well. So I was so kind of proud to get that um, come along and working with them is an absolute dream there's so many cool opportunities that I would never even imagine you know outside of the support you get as an athlete um they they really make sure that you're having a good time as well it was only a few months ago that I was up with them in um Austria I got a phone call on like the Monday um it was my athlete manager saying do you want to go and um have a passenger ride up in a stunt plane in Austria over the mountains of the lake um, and this was this was sort of winter time, so they were all snowy. And I was out there by Wednesday, and we were filming it. And I was doing questions and answers with one of their stunt pilots um, at the Flying Bulls. We were kind of loop the loops and all the kind of things like that over the Alps. Um, and it was just opportunities like that that are really cool. And uh, all of the other athletes are a really cool bunch of people as well. So it's cool to hang out and to meet uh, loads of like like minded people. Yeah, you mentioned before that you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So you really suit the Red Bull brand in in many ways. Talk us through what uh, what the plan is going forward now. For obviously everything stopped for a little while. Do you see yourself getting going uh, in 2020, or is things sort of looking a little bit more solid for 2021? Yeah, I mean it's difficult, you know, to say really. Every day we're looking at it, and every day it seems to be changing and going in a different direction. Um, I know that you know. They're talking about F1 getting back going, getting back to some GP races now. And um, I think Rally is hard. We just had another um, WRC event cancelled for October now. Um, I think there's so much to putting on an event on independently for countries and for motor clubs as well. You know, even if even if we can all get together at that particular time that the event runs, it's the months of planning ahead. You know, it's all of the uh, volunteers. There's, there's so many parts to it that have to make an event run. And I yeah. think... Um, it's, you know, it's really, it's a really tough call now for 2020. And I think as drivers, we can fully appreciate that and we'll take what we can get. But um, at the same time, I think focus will be on 2021. Um, I'll hope to scrape in a couple of events or at least some, you know, solid testing at the end of the year, just to make sure that we're keeping our eye in a bit. Um, but I think, yeah, I think 2021 will be cool. I've got um, a new project on the horizon as well, entering into the new championship extreme ease driver program. Um mm-hmm. They're kind of going through their selection process at the minute. So, um, yeah, I think I think there'll be some interesting championships next year. And I hope that, you know, kind of motorsport as a whole, whole will get back to normal. I think we've really seen how much we all miss it and we all miss the competitiveness and uh, we miss the fans and people enjoy watching it during this lockdown period. So hopefully when it does come back, it will be back with a bang. Yeah, definitely. We're hoping the same thing here in Australia. Now, in between time in the lockdown period, we've been doing a lot of sim racing. Have you got yourself a sim? How have you been spending this COVID time in lockdown? Yeah, I have. Um, I've got a play seat um, and a fanatic wheel. So um, I've, I've been literally playing the WRC game nonstop because 
Uh, some of the stages are practically identical to the actual rallies that we drive. So it's, it's good, been kind it? of perfect um, and the closest thing we could get. I mean, I have to say it has been frustrating, um, to say the least. I think, um, you know, it's so addictive and you can just sit there for hours trying to get your times down. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm so competitive and my dad's been playing as well. And so we've been having like every weekend we'll have a championship. So each weekend we'll go to like, a, we'll go to Rally Mon- um, Monte Carlo and then we'll be in Rally Argentina and uh yeah, we'll literally do it like a rally. So we'll both get a recce of the stages and then we'll be doing the actual competition. Uh, so it's really funny, actually. But I think it's important to keep your competitive edge. Mm. Um, one of my um, coaches that I work with with Red Bull was saying that it's during these times that you have to make sure you've got a varied kind of um, training program because if you're just sort of doing um, something that keeps your adrenaline and keeps your stress and keeps your emotions at the same level all the time, mm-hmm. when we suddenly go back to competition, it will be such a shock to your system. It will be so exhausting. Mm-hmm. So he was saying you need to do something that kind of totally wipes you out and mentally, like if it's a workout or if it's, you know, a sim race that you're doing while you're doing like 500 meter row intervals on the, um, you know, in terms of like physical exercise, mm. he was saying you need to be finding something that really drains you to, to almost the same point that you'd be if you were at a race, if you were at a rally. Um, and then you're kind of training that and keeping that in check as well. So it's not such a shock when we get out of this sort of lazy period. I think that's great advice because it is very difficult to simulate going car racing. So I've been trying to do the same sort of thing here in Australia, doing as much sim racing as I can. I'm absolutely useless on it. So I think it's, it's probably <laughs> uh, frustrated me more than ever. But I have enjoyed parts of it, and I think uh, you know during this time it is important to try and hone those skills. But it, what I, I think will be interesting is when we go racing again, it'll be interesting to see whether we've actually learnt anything and if the sim has played a vital role in keeping us sharp uh, for that next phase of, of going racing uh, once again. Yeah, I think it will also be interesting to see if there's more crashes. I think you get a little bit more confident than you do in real life, but there's not a reset button in real life, is there? So <laughs> I think there'll be some short, short shocks. That's the only benefit, actually, and uh, keeps the cost down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have enjoyed that feature lots of times. Well, Katie, we've uh, loved having you on the program and we really appreciate your time. It's going to be difficult. It, it's, uh, it's surprising that you actually filmed your TV show back in 2018 and Australia's only sort of just started to get it now. So it shows how far, um, how far off the pace we are. We may as well be in another universe. But um, we do... <laughs> We, we do really appreciate your time and uh, our, certainly our kids have loved watching you on the, uh, on the TV. For now, I guess they'll have to watch more Andy's prehistoric adventures or uh, whatever else is on it in the similar slot. But we certainly wish you all the best <laughs> in the JWRC program for 2020. Hopefully it gets, uh, gets off the ground in, uh, in this year and, uh, and you can get back out on the, on the racetrack. Thank you so much. Please say hey to your kids from me as well. And thanks for getting up at 5 a.m. to chat to me, guys. <laughs> thanks, Katie. Thank you very much. Good to chat to Katie there and learn a little bit more about her story. She's pretty polished for a 22-year-old. I think she presents really, really well on the show. And I must admit, Oscar is so excited, my four-year-old, about this interview. He cannot wait to actually listen to it. So... Great to have her on the show and learning about what she's up to during the COVID time. Obviously doing a lot of sim racing, 
trying to sort of uh, get that advantage so when we go racing again she's learned a few things and uh, she's ready to go but i don't know whether they're actually going to get going this year anytime soon yeah we'll we'll have to wait and see unfortunately all we've seen from the wrc is cancelled events or postponed events so a little bit more of a challenge in that world to get that series up and going but uh, look no doubt it will come back around and uh, and and we can't wait to see how katie goes when the wrc kick back off now our next guest tony d is a man who has won all of the big races in the Australian motorsport scene. His name is Nick Perkat, 2011 Bathurst 1000 winner. He won the 2016 Adelaide 500, driving for Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. He has uh, been a full-time driver in the supercar season for a long time. A good friend of uh, both of ours, particularly yourself, and you actually almost drove with him in the endurance races uh, once upon a time. So uh, I want to uh, find out a little bit more about young Nick. Okay, let's get him on the phone. And it's great to welcome Nick Perkat to the Parked Up program. Nick Perkat, of course, Supercar star. Thanks for joining us. Hey, boys. How are we going? Yeah, we're very good. Thank you. Mate, a absolute weird, weird world we're living in at the moment. Tell us a little bit about your coronavirus story. My, my story, it's uh, one of real hardship, you know. Uh, no, actually, I'm just uh, doing bits and pieces for BJR still and working closely with my engineer and obviously in communication with Brad and the guys a lot. Um, but then uh, I kind of like, I set myself a bunch of goals during this time of with my own training and um, other personal things, but mainly the training, which is quite public of run a half marathon because I've never been able to run more than 10K from a knee issue that I've got. Did a lot of work with that. Next thing you know, I'm I've ticked off that bucket list thing. I've done 250k on a bike in a day. I've done a bunch of random things that I've never actually really wanted to do, but I found myself, there's nothing open. There's nothing else you can kind of do. And I'm a very active, outdoorsy kind of person. And um, yeah, I just set up on all these treks and um, do all these crazy training days and weeks and hung out with my shock lab, Nelson. And yeah, that was that was me, really. Yeah, well, Nelson has certainly been in the spotlight over the past 10 weeks with the Supercars E-Series that has just come to a close. You did pretty good in the online racing world. Your take on those past 10 weeks being strapped inside uh, your racing simulator? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I started off well and then I actually ended up having to move the whole simulator to my friend's work, which is about 40 minutes from my house. So then it actually came a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, you know, I would leave my house at around 2 o'clock on Wednesday and I wouldn't get home until 10.30 that night after. You, by the time you get there, set up your cameras and stuff for Fox, do some laps and then hook in for the night. It was actually end up being um, a little bit draining. But uh, I love that we did it for, for the support of um, you know, all the sponsors, um, kept us relevant. I think we are one of the first championships in the world to have an online platform where we could continue our racing. So from that side of things, I, I loved it because it, it really actually showed all the drivers' personalities without helmets on, highlighted who has a whinge, has a laugh, who takes it extremely seriously, even on a, a computer game. And then, you know, the guys that just had fun. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And it uh, it definitely provided some laughs. And um, I actually had about four weeks of serious frustration there because, like, not even a $2 part failed on my steering wheel. Literally a screw came loose. 
but because I'm not in the sim world, I didn't know about it. So I actually had no force feedback for four weeks and the, the thing would drop out. So I just ended up spearing up the road because the actual steering would turn off. And then I spoke to, finally spoke to SimWorks who look after me with the sim and they're like, oh mate, if you just take the steering wheel off, find that quick release. There's like three little three mil Allen keys. Just if they're slightly loose, that's all it is. A quarter turn on each of them and bang, we're back on for the last week. <laughs> So that's about as happy as I was with uh, iRacing. You're not the first driver to sort of uh, vent their frustration. And I find I find the online racing so frustrating. Like you literally want to smash the screen in front of you. It, it gets to you. <laughs> it, uh, I had all the, these intentions to love it. Um, but geez, I tell you what, it, it really tested me. And uh, we spoke with Fabs last week. And I think he's happy now to have a little bit of time off like from the sim mentally- racing testing yeah i think you have to take time off it to be honest oh definitely definitely so i think it became a bit of a chore for everybody you know 10 weeks straight you got to do all the practice if you actually want to be competitive and let's face it we are competitive people so we go oh we i won't put as much time in this week but it just eats at you and you know you think i've got to put the time in to make sure that i'm quick enough so i thought that you had a pretty solid run to be honest because i know behind the scenes chatting with you that you didn't spend every day possible on the sim you were sort of busy doing other things so mate are we gonna see you doing more online racing or you just want to go back uh in the real world yeah so like you said i didn't do as probably as much testing i definitely you know i'd jump on friday arvo if i was at the factory where we keep it i'd do like 10 laps and then i'll come back on monday night maybe and do a couple laps and then i'd get there early on wednesday and do some stuff before the actual racing kicked off. But then what happened? They opened go-kart tracks again and I have a go-kart. So the moment I physically turned literally the first corner at Todd road, I had more rage towards this simulator (laughs) and never wanted to see it again. And actually asked if I, I actually spoke to Brad and said, I do actually have to do the rest of it. You could have put someone else in the seat, just like Daniel apps. (laughs) No, no, don't do that. Could have given Nelson a couple of laps. Yeah, well, I definitely asked if I could put someone else in it. I asked Brad, and Nelson did do a few laps with me on my lap at one of the ovals, which didn't go that well. <laughs> I don't know um, why. Yeah, I just want to get some coverage. We're having a shocker. Um, you got plenty of coverage with Nelson. I did. So, yeah, then I drove the go-kart, and, uh, yeah, I got even more rage towards simulators. So, mm. I don't know. I think... I'm looking at it right now, and if I can find the, the love to actually just have fun on it again, I'll keep it, but it's it's on thin ice, and it's about to be advertised, and if I don't, <laughs> get, much, if I don't get a bite on it, it'll stay here, but if I get something close to what I want yep. for it, it's gone. Oh, fair enough, righto. So, yep. what about go-karting, though? You, you're pretty keen on that, it sounds like. Are you going to do some racing this year? Uh, yeah, so I always do um, the club level stuff out at Todd Road, Go Cut Club of Victoria. Just enjoy it, I have fun, and I do some country series events. Um, so you get to kind of go to all the country tracks, um, like Portland and Warrnambool and, and stuff like that. And they're, they're just really fun, you know, it's a, a one day event. You rock up Saturday night, you go to the local pub, um, have a chicken palmer or whatever, and yeah, you know, go, you go race the next water. day. So, exactly, a few sodas. Um, yeah, so I, I love it, and because it's so authentic or raw, and um, you know, you can sit on the grid at 
in any go-kart race and have the same equipment as the bloke who's going to win it. So mm. that's what I love about it. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be doing a lot of laps in the, in the cart for the rest of the year. And, um, it just makes me happy. So that's why I do it. Nice mate. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Brad Jones racing, uh, and your take on the rest of this year. How, how's the team looking? Obviously with all the, the changes and COVID and all that sort of stuff, sponsorship wise and, How's things looking at BJR? Um, yeah, I think it's going um, not too bad on, on that side of things. Um, I think Brad does a very good job of you know, looking after sponsors and the staff and making sure everyone's um, and happy, I guess. So that's why I love uh, working for him. He's such a genuine guy and the way he's handled this whole COVID time with guys and girls on the floor has been it's been quite good to see. So yeah, moving forward, I'm just uh, not all of us just can't wait to get back in the cars and go racing again but it's obviously going to be a fair bit different with a few different rules and how many staff you can have at the track and and stuff like that so um i don't know what we'll have on the doors of my car for the first round but uh, i'm sure brad will get something on there because he always does and and that model that we've run now for my whole time at bjr of uh, the rolling livery you know it's a it's pain in the ass if you want to just buy my merch or anything because mm. we don't really have it but um the way that Brad and Kim and everyone at BJ have made that work has been has been really successful, and I think you know that that model actually came from what you guys were doing up at Penske uh, when it first started. So, yeah, I imagine that's what will keep happening with my car. I don't know about Todd's, and um, mm. obviously, Cool Drive and um, SCT are permanently on the cars for Macca and Jack, so. Um, they're all good, so it'll just be mine, I think. It's a big task for BJR to run four cars in supercars. During the COVID time, though, have they had to give the staff a little bit of time off? How have they managed that side of things? Um, yeah, I think, um, obviously, uh, with the JobKeeper staff and then kind of rostering people on at different times, and ha- and I think they cut back down to maybe two days a week at the start, and then now back to three, and then I think now it's just uh, picking up again and, I'm fairly sure over Easter they all got like a big period of time off, um, right in the you know the peak of uh, the whole situation for everyone. So yeah, I think um, Brad managed that quite well, and you know we've um, retained staff and not had any issues there. So mm. the number one thing for Brad was making sure all those guys and girls were looked after. Um, you know they all have families and uh, partners and stuff like that, and that's where it for me it really showed his true colours. Yep. Um, and what he's about so it was uh, it was really good to see and you know um i worked closely with him with that stuff and um tried to help where i could and um it's been it's been it's been good to see the way he's gone gone about it and he's um yeah i think that's why you know we've we've still got all our staff there um no one's packed up and left and um everyone's just itching to go racing so it is it was really good to see to be honest when i, I went up there last week and the actual vibe in the workshop is uh is um which is surprising, obviously, because mm. you know, everyone's had, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's had pay cuts throughout yeah. any part of what doesn't matter if you're in motorsport or mm. you're working at Coles, it's all become very hard for everyone. So, um, yeah, he's done a good job handling it all. We've all certainly been affected in one way or another. What's your take on the schedule for the races coming up? As in, like, on-track stuff or yeah. the actual yep. calendar? Yeah, the I think it's um, it's different. It's... um. I guess it's a little bit more old school with the short races um, and three of them. Um, obviously, whatever they've done to improve the costs of the sport, I'm all for it. I think it was um, a little bit crazy what the what was having to be spent for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it'll throw up a few challenges. Obviously, having 
Um, I think now we're just down to one data engineer for two cars. So, yeah, normally you'd come in, your engineer would be going over the setup with the boys, a data engineer would be going through your lap um, with you. Now it's going to be like a little bit probably more like a Formula Ford or something. You know, you come in, you you, you tell your engineer and, and that's it. And they go into making the changes with the mechanics. But there's such tight turnarounds, you won't be able to throw wholesale changes at the car to be more kind of what you get there with on Saturday for round one. Yeah. I think you end up running a, a similar setup all day and just tuning that. And I think the guys that work closely with their engineer um, and have a very good relationship with them and the guys that can adapt quickly or drive around a problem, they're the ones that are going to benefit out of this new format. So It sounds then, to yeah, me that, uh, Nick, you're going to benefit from this because I know your driving style and I know you've had a lot of experience now with BJR and, and your engineer as well. So some of these changes, I think, will help the more experienced drivers. The one question that I do have, though, is do you think this is going to add to the show? I mean, some of the bigger teams that have probably their car set up may be a little bit more sorted. Are they still going to be at the front or do you think it's going to really mix it up? Yeah, I think the guys that have got very good <laughs> information already um, – so obviously, Triple uh, Eight and DJ oh guys, you guys, they, you know, they'll obviously be strong. Um, but it depends. Obviously, the cars are a lot different to the last time we went to SMP. There's no twin springs or whatever spring arrangement a few of the teams are running. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're back to linear springs, controlled dampers. So that really changes the setup quite a lot from the last time we were actually raced at Eastern Creek. So I, I, I would hope that um, you know the likes of Penske and Triple Eight, you know, they, I, all their simulation and stuff like that, hopefully it's not as <laughs> good as it, as it would have been when it was fully sorted with the cars. Cause obviously we've only done one round at Adelaide with this kind of configuration. So I'm hoping it's going to be closer, but I think, you know, the, the, the cream always rises to the top. There's no reason why Scotty McLaughlin, Giz and Jamie won't be still the benchmark drivers out there. So, uh, and teams. So, Hopefully, we're all just a bit closer. And um, like I said, I think it's going to be more about adapting to the, the car balance because it, it's not going to be perfect. What's good to someone is might be bad to someone else. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch, I think. And Eastern Creek with huge tyre deg, plenty of passing opportunities, should actually provide a decent show. Well, we're all certainly looking forward to racing getting getting back. Let's uh, Let me just rewind the clock. A little bit. Obviously, you won the Bathurst 1000 with Garth in 2011, and of course, won your home race there in Adelaide, the the uh, what was then the Clipsal 500. But in between all of that, there was a sneaky chance that you and TD were going to team up together in the endurance races. It was 2013. Tony yep. was part of the the Walkinshaw under the Walkinshaw umbrella, I guess you you might say, with his uh, customer customer car first year of the car of the future program and you were announced i believe you were actually announced yeah, yeah. as yep. tony's co-driver tony likes having tall co-drivers for, for some reason um and but it never happened it never it never eventuated tell us tell us a, a, your side of that story yeah it's um it's interesting i let a little bit about out about it uh with noons on his um podcast recently but i wasn't sure how much um i could dive in but um yeah obviously i was contracted with walkinshaw well, i was yeah one of their drivers for many many years and we won bathurst in 2011 2012 we were in a position to go 
extremely well and I crashed the car coming down the mountain and then it kind of all started about then where um, without me knowing they pulled the Super 2 car or drive out they stopped running that car for me um, this is you know it goes back a long way before even the TD stuff came in and you can kind of see the way the relationship was going with the management at that time and then you know I had to go find my own Porsche drive um, I then got told I wouldn't be with Garth or in a red car and they were going to put me in with uh, TD and his team, which I think it actually uh, all happened quite early that year from memory. Is that right, TD? Well, from we were... my uh, memory, it was like Christmas for me because yeah. we were like, uh, you know, this small team in pit lane and we get a phone call from Walkinshaw at the time, Steve Hallam, and they said, how would you like to have Nick Perkat join you for the endurance races this year. And I'm like, are you serious? Absolutely. I, w- I was absolutely, you know, beyond excited uh, to have yourself on board with all your experience and I knew how fast you are going to be and all that sort of stuff. And as a small team, it's often hard to attract some of the, you know, the better drivers in the category. So for me, this was, you know, awesome. We're and, all... they, and they told you early in the piece, though, yeah, wasn't it? Early in the year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was fairly early because we had suits and everything made. Like, so it wasn't, we did. We it wasn't did. just like That's just like, before Bathurst. Exactly. So then from my end, there's all this stuff going on and I was racing Porsche and so going quite well. And there's actually still questions being asked why I wasn't in a red car from a few of the engineers at HRT. And then my success in the Porsche kind of got a bit more frustration amongst the engineering group at HRT. And then... Next thing you know, I think we're in Townsville. Mm. This is what sealed <laughs> and I have, the deal. Oh, this is what, the deal for me. Yeah, so I hadn't driven a supercar since Homebush in Super 2 the year before, and we rock up mid-year at Townsville, and they knew full well all I'd been driving is a, is a Porsche and kind of just surviving and um, dealing with their politics. And then, yeah, we launch into this thing, and I'm driving TD's car. Um, <laughs> no seat insert, just on the no floor. Seat. Yeah, and it was just like, I think from memory, we were like literally just have a drive, have a feel, and mm. we'll figure out a seat position after this weekend. Yep. So we're driving around, and I think I was literally like down and down the bottom of the, the order. And I came in for my last run, and they're like, "Yep, you can have a bit of a crack now and have a push on." And I started to feel pretty comfortable. I had a bit of a dip, and next thing you know, we're where were we? First or second? <laughs> oh yeah, you were like right in the top three there, and way ahead yep. of the other red cars. And then from that moment on, it turned to shit for TD without them, without without them knowing because um, I got I came in and um, the first person who grabbed me I think was actually Steve Hallam and he said, uh, "Just come in here. I want you to debrief with the HRT car." And I was like, uh, "Okay, that's weird. Mm. Haven't actually spoken to the guys and TD's side." So got dragged over there and then later in the weekend it was, "Oh, you can probably hang out in our garage a bit more." And I was like. Okay, this is very weird. And then on the Monday, I had a phone call saying, "Oh, so you're going to be driving in a red car again?" And I think uh, I didn't actually find out till the Tuesday. I remember I was down at Phillip you... Island on the Monday yes. doing a track day, mm-hmm. and uh, I was talking with Dave Russell about it. And Dave was sort of saying, "Oh, mate, you know, like I, I can't believe they've let Nick go. I can't believe you know Walkershire aren't going to have him in a red car." Like, no, 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 deal's done, suits are made, everything's happening. And then it was literally the next day my dad called and said, well, I got a call from Steve Hallam today. And uh, it'll be in exactly this tone. And uh, Nick won't be driving with us, unfortunately. (laughs) 
Yeah, so when they told me, um, my first thoughts were, you actually have to be kidding me. Like you've, I actually said, what are you going to do for the Dabertos? Mm. Because you've left them high and dry. Um, and I knew obviously you guys had engines with us and all sorts of things. I said, I think you actually need to do something pretty big here because they have no driver. And we're only like a month and a half out of racing mm round one of enduros i have no idea what they did for you and i think we got um, a shiny set of uprights for that they, they did look after did. us yes. yeah no they yes. definitely did look after us as a bit of compensation because it was a fair odd loss and just the way it all sort of went down it, it just didn't look really that good for anybody good good it for you good for you because you're you're getting back in red car and yeah but for for us in a, in a small team it was just sort of torn away from us a little bit and it just was a was a bad look so there was some compensation there and then we end up getting johnny reed anyway for the enduros which the only benefit there was the seat didn't have to move so that was good <laughs> <laughs> yes it was actually yeah there's a bit that went on there with um that whole thing and even if i for me i i didn't agree with how they handled it and mm. i thought it was pretty rude oh, you're in the to middle, the point where yeah, they actually, the funny thing was, I was in Steve Allen's office and he's like, yep, you're going to be back in a red car. And I, JC had already spoken to me that week and he's like, yeah, we'll be driving together. Mm. And then I'm in Steve's office and he's like, yep, we'll ring um, bring your co-driver and we'll tell him that you're back in. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And then he rings on loudspeaker and the person who answers is Garth. <laughs> <laughs> and Garth is like... I can actually hear in his voice. I'm just thinking this bloke has no clue what's happened here. Like, there was, it was very poorly managed from everyone, and especially with you guys. And then, yeah, they ring up, and he, I think he thought he was going to be driving with Murph. So <laughs> it was a, a bit went down. It was very weird. Oh, well, we're all still friends now. So, uh, oh, we're still friends. Good. Haven't spoken to them for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I went and drove from the following year. So, uh, oh, yeah. you did too. You did. Yeah, no, all, all good, all good. Uh, the, uh, the the many many tales behind the uh, behind the actual headlines. Um, you could write a book about it, but that's why we've got Aaron Noonan. He can write all the books about those things. Exactly. But timely for you guys to talk about it uh, here on our Parked Up podcast. Now, the uh, before we let you go, Nick, and we appreciate your time chatting to us. You did launch your own little series of behind the scenes videos. Can you tell us how your uh, your little social video project is ticking along for you? Yeah, it uh, obviously got heavily affected by COVID because <laughs> you can't have a cameraman follow you around, it turns out. So that was uh, a little bit annoying because I wanted to show literally day-to-day stuff like you know, what was happening just from breakfast, lunch, dinner kind of thing and show that you know what supercar drivers get up to because it's all pretty relatively private, I guess. So, um, But I've done what I could with my trainer, Heath, and um, kid who produces it and stuff like that and there's a few more little videos coming but yeah i actually wanted to show way way more but it was just actually impossible with the restrictions and and stuff like that but i was just hoping to show you know more of what i'm like behind the scenes um more of what we actually get up to in training and stuff like that because i know (laughs) gary rogers and stuff they they take the mickey out of us saying that we're just sitting around sipping lattes but there is some of us out there that are actually um putting in the hard work to try and improve on and off the track and um, I just wanted to show that so hopefully when we all get going again we'll be able to get back into it and and show everyone what what I get up to and what you know majority of the guys kind of do between race meetings and stuff like that so that was the plan so we'll see hopefully I can get it going again 
Well, it's not too long. A couple of weeks, we'll be back in it. You can have as many cameras pointing at you as as you like. <laughs> Nick Perkat, we appreciate your time on Parked Up, and we'll uh, see you in the real world sometime real soon. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you, mate. Very good to catch up with Nick Perkat, our good friend, and relive some of those moments there of myself and Nick almost doing the Bathurst 1000 together. As I mentioned, I know that was awesome for our little team to have somebody of Nick's calibre joining our team. But anyway, that's history now. Where did the race suit go? I don't know, actually. I, I saw it at Revolution Race Gear one time just uh, on one of their mannequins. So maybe Nick's got one. We, we actually did two suits. Maybe he gave one to Revolution. But I don't think we gave it to Johnny Reed because Johnny's the same size as me and Nick's a beanpole and very tall. So... Uh, we had to get more suits made. But, yeah, that is history, and it's actually cool to be part of Nick's history. He's a Bathurst winner and achieved a hell of a lot in motorsport. He obviously was super fast in karting. Formula Ford is the champion, Carrera Cup. He's basically won everything that he's put his hand to in Australian motorsport. In, uh, in Formula Ford, he holds the record for the most consecutive wins I'm not uh, surprised. The uh, In that sonic year of 2009, he completely thrashed him right from the start of the season. I remember he had no fear on the side of that That's car. Right. That's right. That's, That's a right. cool sponsor. Yeah, so that was an early link with the Walkinshaw, mm-hmm. with Walkinshaw. So, uh, you know, that first part of his circuit racing career was intrinsically linked to the, the Walkinshaw crew. And interesting to hear him talk about how it sort of ended on mm. a uh, on a bit of a sour note for him but you know what full credit to him hasn't let that affect him no. uh, you know at the time driving those red cars as he talked about was the epitome of mm. of um, being a circuit racer in Australia Definitely. and you know they po- probably didn't treat him real right and um, that okay. can kill some careers but it hasn't you know he's he's gone on to continue to achieve despite some challenges and uh, you know he's really the lead driver now at BJR and mm. without putting too much pressure on him really the hopes of that team rests on his shoulders without a doubt i mean he's experienced he's done a lot of years and he puts the work in though so he sets the benchmark for those guys at BJR it's not like he's slacking off and just relying on his experience. He's training really hard. He's doing the sim work. He's doing his go-karting. He's trying to really get the most out of that opportunity. And just going back to the Walkinshaw scenario back in the day where they probably left him a little bit high and dry, it made him dig probably a little bit deeper, and he probably found a new level there. And I do remember that time at, at Townsville when he went out, did a ripping time in, in my car. Uh, he'd never driven the thing. He, he literally had his knees up to his ears trying to fit in the seat. And I remember going out in the next session myself and I had to really step up to match his time. Like he had done a really ripping job. So uh, I'm not surprised that you know, HRT wanted him back. Pretty cool though to win Bathurst with a guy like Garth Tander that had been his idol and his mentor for many years through the junior categories to then step up to the plate and have that pressure of driving with your idol and and your mentor and winning the biggest race in Australian motorsport. Yeah, so who was your 
mentor or you're the you're the, the person who helped guide you a little bit don't say me but i mean everyone understands <laughs> that um, i'm responsible for most of your success or probably most of your uh, non-success um so but who was the per- who was the driver who helped um helped you or the one that you felt was offering something that you were you know you were all ears to yeah i mean i don't know if i had one driver in particular but i do remember getting the guidance from Cedo when we won our development series championship and I found that really helpful to have somebody on my side uh, that I could bounce questions off uh, that he'd been there and done that before and he could really not get caught up in all the noise at the time and just focus me in the right direction I think that's what's really good about having a mentor now talking about having this mentor relationship this week in uh, the news our good friend Fabian Coulthard has actually teamed up with Repco and he's gonna support a young driver in New Zealand. Uh, Lewis Sharp, who has been doing a lot of karting and has been very successful already, Fabian is gonna be his mentor going forward now. So he's gonna be somebody that Lewis can call and chat to, and and not only from the driving point of view, but also decisions in his motorsport career, because there's so many different paths you can go down, but to have somebody that can help and maybe point you in the right direction can really shorten that learning curve um, and maybe you know get him into a position where he can succeed a little bit sooner. So great to have that sort of initiative by Fabian, also uh, Repco as well. It'll be interesting to see how he goes. I think though we should maybe get Lewis on the show and, and get his point of view of how the relationship's going to work. Yeah, cool. I like the idea of speaking to to a young kid. Next oh, generation. The next generation. Cool. Then we can say that we spoke to them. We spoke to that kid before he went on to become a Formula One star. Yes, exactly. So we're way ahead of the curve there. But clearly Fabian's ahead of the curve because he's already picked him to uh, mentor. But I reckon that could be a good little chat. Cool. Let's uh, let's see if we can grab him for next week. But that's next week, and this is this week. And this, Tony, is almost the end of Parked Up. No uh, no eating challenge for you this week. But we're going to tell people why not no eating challenge. Oh, because we've come in like at uh, seven o'clock in the yeah. morning. So to... we started uh, this episode a little bit early re- recording to tr- purely trying to get Katie on the phone because of the time difference. Yep. Uh, so if I had like a bowl of chili right now, it's going to affect me for the next 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to leave poor Steph with that. Um, we, we won't do that to you. So no, uh, no, no eating challenge for you this week, but we should give away a prize. We didn't give away a prize during the week. Tony, what, should, what prize should we give away? <laughs> You're putting me on the spot here, Grant, but just looking around the office here, I've got my eye on a couple of TCR S5000 posters. I think we should give them away, and I reckon we should actually get Grant to sign them. What do you reckon? <laughs> yes, Just and, to add some value. And devalue them, yes, for sure. No, I definitely won't do that. You're the star of this podcast, so let's get you to sign them. No, no, no signatures, just nice pieces of paper that you can hang up on your favourite wall in your favourite toilet. Okay, sounds good to me. So, so, a couple, so a couple of TCR Australia and S5000 posters. We'll see what else we can slide into that uh, little cylinder as well and, and chuck it your way. But certainly check out our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash parked up podcast. And uh, we'll just get you to write, write something nice. And whoever writes the nicest thing can, um, can win these posters. Tony, an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's been a great show. Thank you to our guests, Nick Perkett and Katie Munnings. 
We've got, you know, we're going to step it up next week. Jeez, we've set the bar pretty high this week. Yeah. Two, uh, two great ones, but we'll find a couple more great ones next time. You're listening to the Parked Up podcast, powered by Race Fuels, and we'll see you next week. Say goodbye. See you, mate.